Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, for you and for the forgiveness of your sins. God fills us with his love, and it overflows in an abundant way as the people of God that he has called us to be. From Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska, this is Proclaiming the One with Pastors Clint Poppy and Adam Moline. Welcome once again to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline, Vicar Timothy Steele. I always forget what his first name is because he's just Vicar. But uh, we are privileged to serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church here in Lincoln, Nebraska. Each week we come together, we take a look at the readings for the upcoming Sunday in our church here. Today we're going to be looking at the readings for the 15th Sunday after Trinity. The 15th Sunday after Trinity. Pastor, I don't know, I think I might be tempted to call this Do Not Worry Sunday. Yeah. Have no anxiety Sunday. Be happy. Yeah, we were, uh, before we got set up this morning, we were talking about uh, what Pastor Moline's rapper name should be. And uh, Vicar suggested Krispy Kreme. Because he has a fondness for donuts, but uh, we don't want to get into any copyright laws or anything like that. What did what was the frog one that you uh, said? Some rapper that you know of? Froggy Fresh. Froggy Fresh. Uh, so that's Kermit, used. Kermity Frog here. We could maybe use Froggy Stale. <laughs> there uh, you go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, Preachy M. That's what I was going to say. But uh, uh, all kidding aside, we are thrilled to take a look at the readings for this coming week. We're back in Matthew 6, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is teaching us about the love of things of the world, the love of mammon or money, and where our true fear, love, and trust should be. Vicar, you want to take it away? Matthew 6, 24 to 34. Jesus said, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. 
Wow, powerful words, uh, words that speak uh, amazingly well to our contemporary situation. <laughs> yep. And uh, it's one of, those, one of those situations where if we talk deep theology on a particular text, people will say, oh, pastor, be a little more practical, be a little more relevant. Tell us, tell us how to apply this to our daily life. And then when we tell people how to apply these words to their daily lives, it's like, oh, you're hitting a little close there, Pastor. Uh, maybe, maybe be a little more theological and a little less practical. Well, we're going to have an opportunity to do both, to do both. Uh, Pastor, can you set the stage for us? We've done this several times because many times throughout the course of the year, the Sermon on the Mount is uh, a portion of the Sermon on the Mount is the subject of our gospel reading. Can you give us just a little bit of the historical background behind the Sermon on the Mount that is recorded for us in Matthew 5, 6, and 7? Yeah. Um, first off, uh, theologically speaking, it reflects the uh, uh, times that Moses went up onto the mountain and received God's word, uh, the Ten Commandments and things like that, and then brought them back down. And now we have God himself again on a mountain in the person of Jesus Christ. And he, in a sense, is giving a, a sermon here, another word again, and it does have some law in it as well that's really important. He expounds upon some of the Ten Commandments that Moses gave and explains them more uh, clearly and fully, perhaps, is a way to say it. Uh, traditionally, historically speaking, it took place on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. There's still a church there that celebrates this, um, and uh, it's not far away from the town of Capernaum, which is the uh, central location of Jesus' ministry. It's where Peter uh, was a fisherman, and uh, in fact, there's a, a, a church that kind of looks like a flying saucer that is uh, uh, octagonal in shape, built over the site that they think um, is the place where Jesus stayed while he was in Capernaum. The reason is that there is an ancient church built over this one room uh, in an old house there on the shore of the Sea of uh, Galilee. And so um, just a little way up the hill from there is the place where traditionally the, uh, the church of the uh, Sermon on the Mount is located as well. Thank you. The uh, Sermon on the Mount is uh, very, very important theologically. It's important that you get it right. Yes. Uh, because there's a lot of silliness and a lot of nonsense that uh, either borders on or is outright works righteousness that flows out of the Sermon on the Mount and especially the Beatitudes. So uh, we want to make sure that as we are examining these words from Jesus, we see this as instruction for Christians, not in how to clean up your life so that God will then love you and save you. Jesus is speaking to his children, to Christians, how you should live, how you should order your life. What your identity is as a Christian. That is a very, very uh, wonderful way to say it, your identity as a Christian. And he starts off right off the bat with regard to this identity. Your identity cannot have divided loyalty. You cannot, I mean, if you want to think about this in uh, sports terms, you can't be a Yankees fan and a Red Sox fan. They are heated rivals. They are the opposite of each other. And this is the kind of 
animosity or hatred kind of thing that we're talking about, that enmity that pits one against the other, you can't serve things that are diametrically opposite. You cannot serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or we will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Pastor, how is this just common sense? Well, it's common sense in the the reality that the thing you love the most is your God. I think Luther does a very good job on that in the first commandment. And uh, these gods are jealous gods, and they they can't you can't have more than one of them because um, they you you have to love one over the other, and the the one true God won't allow you to. Uh, he doesn't share his loyalty. Maybe is the way to say it, and. Um, I think this is a really important thing for us here living in the United States to comprehend and understand because we really struggle with this, uh, especially a lot more than maybe uh, ancient Christians did, um, not to say they weren't sinful in their own rights, but um, uh, we really, we have it good. We are living in the United States in the uh, 21st century, and we have just about anything we want. We have a, a variety of food we can get from the grocery store. If you want some fancy thing, you just have to hit a button on your smartphone and Amazon will bring it to you tomorrow. And so we do have this pull to love the stuff and the money of the world and to use it to our advantage. Uh, and that's a re- really great challenge. Maybe maybe a, uh, a way to look at this would be, uh, this is why polygamy or polyamory which is the big thing right now doesn't work it cannot work because you cannot have those kind of divided loyalties you cannot have more than one spouse and if you doubt it watch one of those tv shows where they have the big family is that what it's called well there was there was one on hbo until the star died uh big love big love yeah it was about a, a mormon sect and uh, the guy had three wives and three families, and he tried to keep it all separate, and he tried to be devoted and loving to each one and of the three wives. And there's jealousy, and there's conflict, and there's anger. Yes. Uh, it, it doesn't, it cannot, even, even if your carnal senses make it sound like, oh, boy, that'd be wonderful, it's a bad idea. And Jesus is teaching us here, not with regard to sex specifically but he says you cannot serve god and money now pastor is uh, is that word actually money here or is this the bigger all encompassing uh, syrian word that is mammon what do we what do we have for us here in matthew 6:25 uh, yeah, well, the uh, the word there is uh, mammona, which uh, encompasses more than just money. It has to do with uh, all sorts of you know riches, things that we can love in this world, uh, things that can become idols and false idols uh, take away from our faith in God. And normally that word mammon talks about physical stuff. Yes. But in a in a broader understanding it could include uh, those carnal desires and things that we were talking about uh, pretty much anything can be mammon if it becomes a god or godlike in our lives you you mentioned before luther and you said you thought luther had it right what were you referring to with regard to luther and his definition of a god 
Well, in the uh, large catechism, uh, Luther says anything that you can put fear, love, and trust in can become a God. And in fact, I think that's a really great tool for us to think about the things that we're afraid of uh, and to determine then, are those things a false God? To think of the things that we love and determine whether those are a false God and to think about the things that we trust and determine if that's a false God or not. Because we find out that there's all sorts of things that hold that potential in our life, uh, whether we have succumbed to that uh, um, temptation or not. So really what we're talking about here is a first commandment application. Everything that's going to follow here, all of this uh, teaching with regard to anxiety and worry and birds of the air and lilies of the field, all of these things are expanding and expounding upon the first commandment. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, and I think that that's where we have to examine ourselves today, even in terms of um, the pandemic and uh, our political situation and, and everything else in our life right now. Um, do we trust that God is going to take care of us no matter what happens, even should you know World War III start and uh, millions die? Will we still be in God's hands? And the answer is yes, and that's where we need to uh, examine our own faith. When we come back, we're going to take a look at the rest of our gospel reading, Matthew 6, 24 to 34. This is Proclaiming the One, 15th Sunday after Trinity. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP, 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Go, Vicar Golden. Well, I haven't done that in a long time. How about Vicar Bader? Vicar Short. We'll just give tribute to all the vicars. We have a lot to do that to. Vicar Steele. And, uh, well, I have to give a shout-out to Vicar Steele. Uh, You know, he's he's really trying to uh, um, enamor himself with the uh, pastors. And so today he brought day-old donuts. (laughs) 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 And uh, there's a... uh, there's a story behind that we were supposed to record yesterday. And being the dutiful vicar, he went and bought donuts. And then we didn't record yesterday, and so not today. They're a day old. So it's certainly not his fault. And uh, vicar has come up that uh, Pastor Moline's rapper name should be... Oh, gosh. Uh, Preachy Mo. Preachy Mo. Yeah, that's pre- right. Preachy Mo. I don't like that. I, yeah, that sounds too Three Stooge-ish. So uh, we'll we'll keep working on that. Uh, send your cards, your letters, and your um, suggestions for Pastor Moline's rapper name, and uh, <laughs> we'll get back. We'll get back. I still like Krispy Kreme. We, if maybe if we spelled it with a K. That's like, how it's spelled with a K. The donuts are. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> well, maybe we should do it with a C then. Anyway, we got, we've got we got a very serious text before us, Matthew 6, 24 to 34. 
Jesus is teaching us the first commandment. He's expounding on the first commandment. He is teaching us that you cannot have divided loyalties. Our identity as Christians means that we can only have one God, and that is the true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Holy Trinity. He says you cannot serve God and money. That's the English translation, but the word is mammon and pretty much anything that um, can be a person, place, thing, or idea and take the place of God. And then in verse 25, he says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Vicar, uh, how would you define that word anxious? So anxious, anxiety, it's a feeling of fixated worry about something or someone or some event. It's like a itch in the back of your mind or a feeling in your gut that just won't go away and it puts you in knots. And no matter what you do, you can't just shake the feeling. You know, Vicar, it's been about three years since a Vicar said something and I actually thought it was worthy of writing down. And uh, I just wrote down fixated worry. That is really good. That is, that is really good. So um, we, we have an anxiety problem in our world today. There are, and especially since the pandemic started, I read some statistics uh, just the other day that the prescriptions for anxiety medication have increased 140% in the last six months. Now, that is staggering. That is staggering. And so uh, the anxiety level is up due to a lot of reasons uh, brought on in part or if mostly by the pandemic and the lockdowns and, the, and such. And the riots. And the riots and politics and all these things that are kind of coming to a head here in the next uh, several weeks. But how people are dealing with it in many cases is medication. And there's certainly a place for medication, and there's certainly a place for anxiety medication. But that's not the answer. That's not the total answer. That can never be the answer. Jesus says, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. And we're talking about clothing here. Is not life more than food? and the body more than clothing. Pastor, why is it that so often people, and here we're talking about the people of God, Christians, people who are the baptized children of God and know their sins are forgiven, why is it that we so often have that fixated worry, that anxiety on what we eat, what we drink, how long we're going to live, the clothing that we wear. Why do we tend to fixate our worry on these things? Well, I think it's because uh, even though we are baptized Christians, uh, we still have our sinful natures warring uh, with our Christian nature within us. And this, the uh, sinful nature loves this world. The sinful nature uh, is in love with the idea of living in this world and is afraid of dying. And so that sinful nature is always seeking to maintain the status quo uh, for the way that things are or to, in its own mind, improve them to live longer, to have more food and clothing, um, and uh, to be able to take care of itself more thoroughly than before. And 
the challenge with this is that God says he's the one who's doing all this, taking care of us. He's given us our body, our soul, our eyes, our ears, all our members, our reason and senses, our clothing, shoes, food, drink, house, home, wife, children, land, animals, and all that we have. Those are all gifts from God that he's using to take care of us. And what's even better is that God has promised to take care of us even after we die in this world and to provide all these things and more perfectly and completely in the world that is to come. Our sinful nature really struggles to believe that even as our Christian nature clings to that promise and hope very well said pastor in verse 26 jesus now uses an example a practical example says look at the birds of the air they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them are you not of more value than they vicar how does god the heavenly father feed the birds does he have like heavenly bird feeders dispensing hanging from the clouds that are invisible to the naked eye how does god feed the birds well i mean he could have angels taking care of that job but on a more serious note he does it through his created order you know he's made the uh, the seeds and the worms and everything that birds eat that come about in natural order and gives the bird's instincts to find these things and to know to eat them. It's through his providential care. It's, uh, it's amazing how God, in his providential care, takes care of the birds even through the sinfulness of human beings. People will litter, breaking the law, sinning. And the birds of the air, the mice in the ditch, whatever, will eat and feed off of other people's garbage or sin. Uh, we were uh, crow hunting one year uh, near Grand Island, and uh, we called in a uh, large flock of crows who had been feasting out of the dumpster at uh, one of the local movie theaters. And uh, several of the crows had popcorn stuck in their beak. Uh, (laughs) The the Lord provides. Mm -hmm. The Lord provides. And in in ways beyond our wildest imagination. And so uh, Jesus is just teaching us here that uh, God will take care of you. He takes care of the birds. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Pastor, verse 27. This one one gets me. This one gets pretty much everyone. Um, How do we read this in a way that is not a fatalistic way? Like, well, it doesn't matter what I'm going to do. I'm only going to live so long anyway. Uh, I don't need to wear a seatbelt. I don't need to take care of my body. You know, I can't add a single hour to my life. I can't add a single inch to my height. These things are fixed. I'm stuck. So I'm just going to go eat, drink, and be merry and live however I want. Well, I mean, you could take it that way, I guess, um, if you're a um, Epicurean uh, sort of philosopher or whatnot. But the reality is something even more beautiful than that, and that's that uh, we we put the gift of life and the length of our days uh, as they are as a gift from God. He's the master of it, not us. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's not saying, you know, eat a lot of bacon and get fat and die. He's saying God is in charge of how many days you'll live. And that's actually a great 
good news to us. It means God knows the last day of our life. It means he's in charge of it, and he also will take care of us on that day as well. It's his gifts, then, that we can focus on rather than our actions, and that's the beauty of it. Uh, Whenever we hear about God giving gifts, it is gospel in that sense, and in Jesus Christ, we know the life that God gives does not end at the moment of death, but rather we have resurrection on the last day, and we will live even more perfectly uh, complete than now in the kingdom that is to come. Thank you. In verse 31, let's skip down a little bit. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? All of these things have a, uh, a part in our overall length of life. For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. And then he says in verse 33, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Is this some kind of a name it and claim it? Uh, crystal cathedral kind of a theology, you know, if you just want it bad enough, God will give it to you. That, what, what is Jesus teaching us here in verse 33? Well, um, it's not the crystal cathedral sort of thing, but rather uh, it's the first commandment that Jesus is just putting in a different way. He's saying, fear, love, and trust in God above all things, and God will take care of you. And Uh, We have to be very careful here. It's not even in the sense that um, this has to be our action. It's a gift that's given to us by the Holy Spirit, the gift of faith. And uh, when we have the faith given to us by the Word and by the sacraments, our Christian nature already does that. Our Christian nature already trusts in God. And... um, you know, day by day, we still need to drown our sinful nature in the waters of holy baptism so that that new Christian nature can arise to live before God in righteousness. Uh, and and that's the beauty of it. Jesus does the things necessary for us to fulfill these words. We seek, we grope as one in the dark looking for a light switch. And yet God is the one who finds us. He finds us in the power of his word. He finds us in the gift of his son, Jesus, like a shepherd who picks up lost sheep, like all of us, and gathers us into his arms and carries us off. Therefore, the bottom line, verse 34, don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. That seems kind of cryptic, doesn't it, Pastor? Tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. How do we understand that verse? Well, uh, he's saying, you know, you don't have to worry about, well, Thursday. What's going to happen Thursday? Oh, no, this bad thing. Saying, take each thing as it comes to you each and every day. You'll have enough things to worry about in that way. And as you do so, remember the promises of God who will um, provide for you in all these instances and situations. And as crazy as it is, God will even provide for you uh, if you're sick and dying of cancer, if you uh, are dealing with, um, you know, Alzheimer's disease, if you are uh, having a heart attack, if you are in poverty, if you are uh, naked, laying out in a field somewhere, trying to find your way home after being lost. God will provide for you in all these situations through his son, Jesus Christ. And uh, that provision that ultimately is there is the promise of eternal life with him. And that is the proof positive that he will provide the bloody death and glorious resurrection of Jesus. We need to take a break. This is Proclaiming the One. We'll be right back. Take a look at our Old Testament reading, First Kings 17, 8 to 16. 
You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Steele. I won't forget your name anymore, I promise. Well, I'll, I'll promise. I mean, I'll keep my promise. But uh, you and your fixated worry, I have that written down, and I'll, uh, I'll remember that, Vicar. You will be known as the fixated worry vicar. The uh, gospel reading for the 15th Sunday after Trinity, Matthew 6, 24 to 34, really kind of sets the stage and drives everything with regard to the rest of our readings. Keep that, uh, don't be anxious, that fixated worry thought in your mind as we shift now to the Old Testament reading, 1 Kings 17, 8 to 16. Vicar, take it away. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel, that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks, that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said. But first make me a little cake of it, and bring it to me. And afterward make, your, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, The jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty, until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said. And she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent. Neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. Pretty powerful miracle here, Pastor. And uh, you can see why this particular Old Testament narrative was chosen to be a parallel with Jesus' words from the Sermon on the Mount. Do not worry. Do not be anxious. Do not worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. Do not worry about your life. And we see this beautifully, beautifully uh, played out for us in this encounter between this... um, widow, this widow of Zarephath, and the prophet of God. Pastor, just a few words on the location here, the uh, Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon. Yeah, uh, Zarephath is a uh, a small town that's located almost exactly halfway between the two cities of Tyre and Sidon. So this would be north of modern-day Haifa in Israel. Uh, It's actually located in Lebanon, um, if if, uh, you're using a modern map. And so it is a 
non-Israelite city. It is a, a Philistine city, a um, a pagan city in that regard as well. And so it's very interesting geographically that God sends the prophet Elijah there when it's not a part of Israel or Judah, the two kingdoms that existed, uh, descended from Abraham at that time. He uh, sends the prophet Elijah to this pagan, barren wasteland to care for this believing widow that nobody even realizes is a believing uh, child of God living in this place far away from the body, a larger body of believers. Is that is that a fair way to look at it? Well, um, he, he sends him. I mean, first of all, Elijah is the one who predicted the drought. Right. And the drought is what's caused this lady to be in such a, such a predicament. And we're, we're Lutherans, so let's be honest about how all these things have happened. Why is there a drought? Because the word of the Lord said so as spoken through Elijah. Now, God sends Elijah up here to this pagan city, but he doesn't send Elijah by himself. He sends him with another word. Uh, and that's really, I think, the key thing here in this particular text is Elijah comes to this pagan city with this pagan woman who's about to eat and die from the drought that's brought about by God's word. But Elijah comes with a different word for her. You will not die, yet shall you live. And uh, because the the flour will not run out, the oil will not run out, you'll be able to make bread to feed yourself and me uh, throughout this drought. And the word of the Lord does exactly what it promises here. And I think that's the key. God always sends men out, whether they be prophets or apostles or pastors, with his word to preach. And the word does what God promises it will do in that preaching. In this case, feeding them in a drought uh, for pastors and apostles, uh, bringing people the Christian faith and the Holy Spirit that they might have eternal life as well. So would you say that the woman, the widow here, the woman of uh, widow of Zarephath, that she had faith before Elijah came uh, by some some other way of hearing the word of God, that she heard the word of God through Elijah, and that word created the faith, which made her obedient to the word of God, uh, following the command, making the food for Elijah before herself. Uh, she saw the miracle, and then she believed. Uh, how would we? How would we kind of put all those pieces together, yeah. Pastor? Well, I'd say uh, first off, we have to understand that Elijah is a well-known figure at the time and in this part of the world, and so uh, he dresses a little differently, and people would be able to recognize him by the way he dresses and the things that he says. So he comes to Zarephath, uh, this city uh, that is a pagan city, and he runs into this woman, and you'll note it in verse twelve, the way she speaks, as the Lord your God lives. So she's heard of the Lord, and she at least believes that the Lord might be a God, but it doesn't sound like she believes that he is her God in this okay. regard. It is Elijah's God. As the Lord your God lives, uh, I have no food, and uh, we're going to eat this last food and starve. And now Elijah brings God's word to her, and in response, she hears the word, the Holy Spirit works faith, and she trusts the word that Elijah says. And this is a big trust here, right? Yep. Uh, you have just a teeny tiny bit of bread uh, available to make, a little bit of flour, a little bit of oil. Make a cake for me first, 
and then your flour for you won't run out. That's a big trust thing. And if you ask the average person to do something like that in this situation, they would tell you where to go really quickly. But this woman hears the word, the Holy Spirit works faith, and now I would say this is at least the beginning for her where Elijah's God can actually begin to be her God as well. The, uh, the phrase that Elijah says in verse 13, Elijah said to her, do not fear. Yeah. Do not fear. Is, is uh, yeah, I mean, it's given in a negative way. Uh, is that law or gospel? Um, yes. I'd say it's both. In this particular instance, to this woman, I'd say it's primarily gospel in the sense that uh, the God that you're, that's my God, is going to take care of you. That's the promise that he's making with those words. Okay, and I think that's the that's the key here to the transition. That uh, the only way this woman could have had the um, superhuman faith to disregard the life, her own life, and even more so, you know, you know the uh, the the love that a mother has for her child, you know, that would gladly give up her own life. Uh, for the life of the child. And now God through Elijah is saying, you know, you put your life and your son's life in the balance. Listen to the word of God, trust the word of God, believe the word of God, make me uh, a loaf of bread, and then there'll be enough for you. And the only way she could have done that, that, that is not human. That there is no. no humanly possible way that any human being could do that. This has to be the work of the Holy Spirit giving her the faith to fear, love, and trust in God. Now her God above all things. Am I, am I stating that too, too strongly, Pastor? No, I think that's exactly uh, the truth. And I think the ending of the, the text is really clear on that. Uh, the flour doesn't run out. The oil did not become empty. How? according to the word of the Lord that the Lord spoke by Elijah. And I think that's really key here, and we need to remember that about our own pastors and about our own um, uh, preachers, that the word they should be speaking is not their own word. It is the word of the Lord, the one who sent them. And as a pastor, it's not my job to tell you my opinion on something. It's my job to tell you what the Lord's opinion is. Uh, and this is really, really key. And it goes all the way back here to Elijah. And I think this is great because we're Lutherans, right? God is always working the same way throughout all the pages of Scripture. He's working primarily through his word and the things that he attaches his word to, and then that's the same thing in this case as well. Okay, so the oil and the water don't run out, or the oil and the flour don't run out. And uh, God's promise that until the drought is over, you know, there's, there's going to be provision here. And uh, they all lived happily ever after, and there was not a problem, and that's not what happened. Um, God miraculously provided so the woman and the son would live by eating the, the, the bread made from the oil and the flour. And the kid died anyway. What in the world? This is not in our text, but if you if you ever went to Sunday school, if you ever showed up for a free donut at Sunday school, you know that there is a second part to this story. Pastor, 
when the widow's son dies, you can imagine that this woman is now thinking, I put my faith in the wrong God. Can you give us a little bit of the rest of the story here in the time that we have left in this segment? Sure. Uh, And even, I think, the key comes again. This woman's faith has begun to grow, but it's not yet well catechized, maybe is the way to say it. Because when the son dies uh, from an illness, perhaps related to the uh, famine that was going on, she blames it not on God, but rather on the man of God. Um, You've come into my house to bring my sin to remembrance and cause the death of my son, uh, she says. And so Elijah takes the son, and he goes and he prays, and he lays himself out over the uh, the boy in prayer, and uh, the Lord listens to the prayer of Elijah and brings the boy back to life, at which point Elijah takes the child and gives him back and says, see, your son lives. And this almost is the completion of her catechism work because her confession here is great. Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. Now, what was what's her faith in? Her faith is in God, and it is brought about how by the word preached to her by the person God sent. And then you see already she's a Lutheran at this point uh, going forward, and uh, that's a really great thing here. Yeah, and uh, you know you you can't help but notice that there's a death and a resurrection here, which points us forward to the mother of all miracles, the death and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that silver, golden, red thread, whichever one you want to think about, that ties all of God's word together. We need to take a break. This is Proclaiming the One. We are looking at the readings for the 15th Sunday after Trinity. When we come back, we're going to look at Galatians 5, 25 through 6, verse 10. Don't change that dial. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Steele. We are privileged to serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church here in Lincoln, Nebraska, 3825 Wildbriar Lane in South Lincoln. If you're in the area, please come and join us for worship. We gather each Sunday at 8 and 1030 with family Bible study, whole family, all ages in between. We also worship every Wednesday evening at 6.30, choir follows, and uh, we'd just love to have you. If you can't be with us in person, all of our worship services are broadcast right here on KNNALP 95.7 in Lincoln, Nebraska. Check us out on the website if you're outside of our listening area, and we are www.thecross957.com 
org. For our uh, intro and exit music today, we've been listening to LSB number 697, Awake, O Sleeper. And I think that's a, a good tune and a good title for us as we've been thinking about these uh, texts. And now we're going to get into our uh, practical application, our sanctification text, oftentimes in the one-year series. Awake, O sleeper, rise from death, and Christ shall give you light. So learn his love, its length and breadth, its fullness, depth and height. We're really talking about learning and living the depth of the love of Jesus Christ, that depth which is his perfect life, obedient death, and glorious resurrection, lived out by faith. We hear the word, we believe, and then having heard the word, we respond in faith toward God and in love toward one another. The epistle reading for the 15th Sunday after Trinity, Galatians 5, 25 through 6, verse 10. Vicar? If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing... He deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. We have lots of things here, Pastor, and... uh there's, there's way too many individual little topics to spend a great deal of time on every one of them. I want to look at Galatians 6, verse 7, as we, uh, as we begin our examination of this text, the epistle reading for the 15th Sunday after Trinity. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, he will also reap. It appears to me that in the earlier verses... While the word justification does not come out, what Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is really attacking is self-justification. We come up with all kinds of reasons to justify ourselves. We come up with all kinds of reasons, looking at the actions of others and all that stuff, and uh, we don't want to look at our own actions. And so here... We have, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever you sow, you reap. Am I, am I stretching here, Pastor? Am I taking this in a, uh, in a left field kind of a way? Or is this blanket statement here in Galatians 6, verse 7, do not be deceived, God is not mocked, specifically addressing the kind of self-justification that all people 
are born with. I think it is addressing that. I think it flows out of uh, what we've talked about in the other scripture readings here as well, the the idea that um, lots of times we like to take care of our flesh as if that's the important thing, as if that's the God that we worship. So uh, we, we want to have a nice a big house so that we can treat ourselves nicely. We want a hot tub, right? So we can sit out there and cook ourselves or whatever. We want a uh, a fancy looking clothes so people think of us nicely. We want to uh, gratify the desires of our flesh in all sorts of wickedness and adultery, right? As we see happen in our society today. And, And so we're making ourselves our own God, and God isn't going to go for it. He is a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the father to the third and fourth generations of those who hate him and despise his word and don't trust and fear and love in him above all things. The reason we're saved is because of Jesus and Jesus alone, and that has set us free from serving our bodies or ourselves or our things as God. Instead, we are free then just to serve Jesus. I don't know if I'm making any sense No, I, I, think that, I think that ties in very well. And, you know, there are a lot of ways we can mock God. I mean, you can just openly mock God, but that I don't think that's what Paul's getting at here. He's not talking about, you know, openly worshiping Satan. No. He's not talking about burning stacks of Bibles in the street. He's talking about how a Christian, unawares, uh, is mocking God in thought, word, and deed, and specifically here in thought, because if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Let each one test his own work, and then his reason to be to boast will be in himself and not in his neighbor. We and put other people down to build each other up. And I'm even thinking in, in terms of, um, like, for example, the Archbishop of Canterbury, who is the Archbishop of Canterbury That's right the now, first thing that came to my mind. But doesn't believe... <laughs> actually in Jesus or in God at all, but he's in that office. Or the church bodies that um, say, we're a Christian church, and yet you can do whatever you want to with your flesh in terms of uh, who you sleep with, when you sleep with them, uh, or even those who try to soften it and say, as long as it's a committed monogamous relationship, and although that's even disappearing now, as long as it's a committed relationship, right? Um, When we're acting like we're Christians or we're telling people we're Christians and yet we're actually worshiping our bodies in terms of uh, what we are allowing ourselves to do, we are mocking God in that way. Again, I don't know if I'm making any sense. No, and I I think what Paul is teaching us here is that we need to examine ourselves. We need to examine our motives because we can justify pretty much anything that we think, do, or say. But we need to examine that according to the word of God. And then uh, he goes on, for the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. And this brings us back right to that laundry list that Paul has given us earlier in chapter 5. Vicar, I don't know if you have your uh, scriptures keyed up to that, but in Galatians chapter 5, starting at verse 17, 
5, verse 17. You want to you want to start reading there? For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Okay, that takes us up to where our text for today begins. So, Pastor, in uh, Galatians uh, 6 verse 8, the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Is Paul saying that if I am loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, good, faithful, gentle, have self-control, that I'm going to work my way to heaven? Is that what Paul is teaching us here? Uh, no, I'd say no. <laughs> yeah, of course not. Uh, but we have to remember the Spirit. Uh, the, I mean, you notice in your Bible it's capitalized. Capital, capital S, S, yes. So we're talking about the Holy Spirit here who is always, always attached to God's Word. And God's Word teaches the Christian that this is the way the Christian is to live. And so in a res- uh, result of having faith, the Christian automatically does these things, and that's what Paul is getting at here. And so it is a natural fruit of faith. This is not any kind of works righteousness. And again, if these things are lacking in your life, which they probably are, they are in mine, they're in everybody's uh, life. There's one or more of these things that is missing or lacking. So what do we do? We need more Jesus. We need more word. We need more forgiveness. We need to, as Vicar just read, uh, crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. Return to our baptism, repentance, and faith. And this is really, really, I mean, I think I said it a couple times already, this is important because there are some churches who do not want you to crucify your flesh, but rather want you to embrace it, to let your sexuality be your identity, to let your political persuasion be your identity, to let your whatever it is that has to do with your flesh, right, your love of uh, idolatry or orgies be your, your, uh, your God, and that's not uh, acceptable. God is a jealous God. He will not share you. You are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul that leaves no space for any other thing uh, when when Jesus speaks that way amen 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 and then we're encouraged to uh, as we have opportunity to do good to those to everyone especially to those who are, who are of the household of faith and um, I, I think this is important for us we are called to love our neighbor and this flows from faith in the God who sent his son to be bloodied and conquered death for us and for our salvation. Vicar, we need to bring this to a close. Would you pray the collect of the day for the fifth Sunday after Trinity? Let us pray. O Lord, we implore you, let your continual pity cleanse and defend your church. And because she cannot continue in safety without your aid, preserve her evermore by your help and goodness. 
Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. 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 For Pastor Moline and Vicar Steele and Pastor Clint Poppy, thanks for tuning in today to Proclaiming the One. We'll be back again next week. In the meantime, Sunday morning when you get up, drink your coffee, read your paper, please pray for your pastors, and most of all, go to church. God's richest blessings in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.